So I parked at the parish house parking lot, get out of my car, and I went up the ramp with the intention of going inside the parish house into the church's offices. When suddenly, I heard the sound of brakes wailing and steel smashing together. So I whipped around to witness the wreck of two cars that had collided. And since I'm not an emergency medical technician or a medical doctor, I just turned around and I went up the ramp back into the parish house. No, of course I didn't do that. <laughs> so I walked onto the scene of the accident. I called 911. I tried to comfort and provide some reassurance to the people in the wreck. And I waited for help. I waited for the experts to arrive. I responded to the situation. In today's gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 9, Jesus responds to a situation. And his response set the direction for the very first disciples their whole lives. And his response set the direction for the church for 20 centuries to the present moment. So what situation was Jesus exactly responding to? Did you catch it when you heard the gospel lesson being read? Well, let's hear just a snippet of it again. Maybe you'll pick it up this time. Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Hmm. So what, what's the situation? Through Jesus' compassion, he notices the crowds, and he notices their very real human needs. This is the situation he's responding to. And he turns to his disciples, his students, and he tells them this in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, some translations render that verse slightly differently from verse 37. Here's how other translations put it. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Question. Does Jesus asking his disciples, his students, to pray seem particularly radical? Does that seem particularly radical to you? No, not particularly at all. But notice what happens immediately after Jesus gives this injunction to pray. It happens in the very next verse, Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus summons his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. What Jesus does, he sends his disciples to do. What Jesus does, he sends his disciples to do. Let's say that together. What Jesus does, he sends his disciples to do. Now that's pretty radical. Yet that is exactly how the church is supposed to work. 
Jesus sends his disciples out to do what he does. What Jesus does, he sends his disciples out to do. So if you identify as a Christian, whether a weak Christian, a strong Christian, a Christian with reservations, whatever, if you identify as a Christian, if you've been baptized, if you intend on coming forward to the altar this morning to receive Holy Communion, then this principle applies to you. Let's call it the apostolic principle. Let's say those two words twice. Apostolic principle, apostolic principle. We rehearse the apostolic principle every week in the Eucharist. Every week we are gathered and we are summoned as a St. John's Church family to be strengthened and then sent out into the world to respond to the harvest of human need to do what Jesus does. That's the principle. We are to pass on what we have received. So we've received wisdom and the lessons appointed for each day. And we are then to pass on that wisdom to others, especially the children in our lives. We will share the peace during this service, during the liturgy. And so we are to go out into the world and be peacemakers. And to grant the gift of peace and pass on peace to other people. Now stick with this. We also have confession and absolution. And so we receive forgiveness. Therefore you and I are to go out into the world and give the gift of forgiveness to others. To be reconcilers in the world. In Holy Communion we are fed. And so we are to go out into the world and feed others. Physically and spiritually. Now the next point I'm going to make, I hope you've made this connection by now. I really hope you've had it if you've been here for any length of time. But just in case, it is no accident that we have a mission partnership with the Dubuque Food Pantry. We are a Eucharistic people, so we feed others. It is no accident that we serve a meal to those in need on the fifth Sunday of the month. Why? Because we are a Eucharistic people. And so we feed others. Let's make sure you're still awake here. Question for you. Is it an accident that up at the parish house we have a mini food pantry? Is that an accident? No. Why? Because we are a Eucharistic people. Just this week someone came by who was needing assistance from that. The Eucharist is the meal of the apostolic community. And we are fed at the altar so that we might live our lives in a way that feeds others physically and spiritually. This is Christianity 101. This is the basics of what we rehearse every Sunday when we come together and celebrate the Eucharist. We are fed so that we might feed others. This started with... Sunday school question, answer, Jesus. And Jesus passed it on to the apostles, the very first disciples. And then for 20 centuries, 20 centuries, this apostolic principle of passing on what we receive has been handed down from generation to generation of believers. And if you're in this room, if you're a Christian or baptized or thinking about being a Christian, well then this, it's our turn 
to pass on and live this faith, to live out the apostolic principle. And this applies whether you're a so-called spiritual physician or technician, a priest or a missionary, or whether you're a so-called ordinary Christian, though there is no such thing. So this apostolic principle applies to all of us. Whatever particular state of life or commitments in life we have as a Christian, it applies to us all. Father Ross Payne teaches at an Episcopal seminary, and here's how he thinks and talks about this subject. Jesus' call to discipleship is a single call. Come and follow. It is the singularity of Jesus' call. The simplicity of the call that gives it his wholeness. Now listen to the next part of the quote carefully. Whatever her vocation, the Christian carries it out as part of the single task of following Jesus, of simply being a Christian. Since some of you are already wandering, you're looking around, I'm going to make it more explicit. So, you might be retired. You might be a plumber. You might be a parent. You might be a professor. You might be a kid. But whoever you are, and whatever it is that you're doing in life, you are invited by God to be a student, a disciple of Jesus, And then bring that apostolic principle with you into everything you do. Underline that in your mind with a red pen. Everything you do. Now some of you are thinking, well, how could I possibly do that? Well, let's bring it down to a precision point. You are to do what Jesus does as you can in your situation according to your gifts and limitations. I'm going to rewind that one. Feel free to join me. You are to do what Jesus does as you can in your situation according to your gifts and abilities. So if that's the message of Jesus, which it is, you can look it up in the scriptures, You can find it over 2,000 years of Christian teaching. Well, then what's the point of the church? Well, then every church, every local church, therefore, should be a missionary center for recruiting, training, and encouraging and sending out these intentional Christians, these kingdom workers, out into the world to respond to the harvest of human need to do what Jesus does. So i got a question as you ponder this, or as you wrestle with this, or as you disagree with it internally. What is one major outcome of Jesus-like work, of kingdom work? Think about that. What's an outcome of kingdom-like work, Jesus-like work? What should happen? Let me ask it another way. What's one major result, one major thing that should follow from faithful discipleship, faithful living our faith, faithful Christian life? There's lots of things. But one major one is healing. Healing. Turn to somebody and say healing. Now just think about it. Think about it. Wherever Jesus went, people were healed. Wherever the apostles went, people were healed. 
Wherever the saints went, people were healed. So check it out as it brings down to our level, because maybe we're not in those categories, include myself in that, not being in that category. Wherever faithful Christians are, people should be healed, encouraged, comforted, lifted up, forgiven, and set free. So wherever faithful Christians are, now maybe you and I are not, we're certainly not perfect. We certainly mess up. We certainly have some, have some days where we have no motivation at all to do it. But hopefully you and I are trying with God's help to be faithful in some way. And so wherever faithful Christians are, people should be healed, encouraged, comforted, lifted up, forgiven, and set free. In some measure, in some way. And so that is a measure of your faith in mine as individuals. And that's a measure of the, quote, success of this church. A measure, not the only measure, but a measure. In other words, looking at your life as an individual, your life as a couple, your life as a family, can you say God has been using us to bring healing to our lives and to people around us? Same question for our church. Is God using our church to bring healing to us and to the world around us? So I am not an emergency medical technician. I am not a medical doctor. And yet on that day, I responded to the harvest of human need as I could. My part was very small, but it was significant. Now, when the experts arrived, the ambulances and all that, and the police, what did I do? I prayed for them. I prayed for the people who were hurt. And there were some people who were pretty seriously hurt. I prayed for all. And that's something you can always do, whatever situation is before you. And you don't have to be a spiritual doctor or a spiritual technician, a priest or a friar, something like that. You don't even have to be overly religious. Our goal here is not to make you over-religious, to make you more fully human, a more loving human being. And so all you have to do is be someone who believes in God and then tries to respond to the situations in your daily life with a little faith. That's the apostolic principle. And the good news of the apostolic principle is that when you and I fail in our faith, will we fail in our faith? Yes. Jesus does what we cannot do and sustains us by his grace and forgiveness. And the further good news of the apostolic principle is that we do what Jesus does best when we live our faith in community with others. So despite you, despite me, and because of me and you, lives will be made better encouraged, lifted up, forgiven, and even transformed. This is what the gospel is supposed to look like in everyday life. In the little messes and the big crashes. This is what Christianity is supposed to look like. This is your calling and mine. God's help. Let's live it together. Amen.